Hello there, my name is Neve Brannigan and I am your host on today's Irish Film London podcast episode. I am joined with Jerry Maguire to have a quick chat before we dive into our gorgeous interview today with director Catherine Ferguson. Hello Jerry, how are you? Hello Neve. it has been a while. It has been a while since our last podcast. We took a bit of a break over the summer, uh, summer holidays, so it's nice to be back. But I think we kind of wanted things to build up again so that we can bring our listeners loads of new content. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of big events coming up for us. And yeah, it's just been a long time since we've done a podcast. So yeah, it's time to bring them back and Mm -hmm. get some more of them to go. Because there's been just lots of lots and lots and lots of Irish films on the go that we haven't been able to cover so we've got some time to catch up on right? Exactly we'll have some fabulous episodes ahead and um, festivals kind of started kicking off over the summer um, mm. with uh, Galway especially was a really really great one um, yeah. and Kerry International Film Festival was also announced which is always very exciting. Their opening film is Tarok which you were saying is uh, based in Kerry yeah, so Tarak is the latest film, or one of the latest films, I think, from the Cine Cahar scheme, um, funded by um, the people behind TG Cahar. Um, so Tarak is a story about four women from County Kerry who come together to do a, like a Crano Grace, essentially, or a Nevo Grace. Um, and yeah, it's really, really good. I managed to see it during the summer and really liked it. Um, it's a film that I think is going to do quite well. It's basically your your archetypal sports drama. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, they start off and they've all got their personal problems and the team's not very good and they enter a competition and have a training montage and get good. Uh, it's like it's pure Rocky territory, you know, or like Seabus or something like that. But yeah, it really works. It really works. And there's lots of tension and, you know, there's that big race at the end. Are they going to win? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Well, hopefully we can get an episode uh, of that on this season as well. But one thing I'm really excited about um, because of Kerry kind of being around the end of October is they're going to do a 100th anniversary screening of Not As Fratu, which I just think is going to be brilliant. So yeah. that's like the original vampire film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, perfect timing. Perfect film, 100th anniversary it's just going to be great really really cool I think such a great um, such a good programming choice there I think absolutely and then also there's amazing shorts on there as well Um, Lakelands is another feature that's going to be on there as well Mm. which is fantastic Um, so if you're interested do go and have a look at the program for that and then another festival that's coming up very soon is Indie Cork and I feel very privileged to be on a Zoom call with a member of the jury for Best (laughs) Irish Short Film Uh, Indie Cork is going to be on the 2nd to the 9th of October and Jerry, you are on the jury for that I am yeah I mean I feel privileged that um, (laughs) the lovely folks at Indie Cork asked me to be a part of it but like I mean, I'm probably the least experienced jury member. I'm with um, I'm I'm judging the Irish short film competition with Jenny Clark, who's a, a shorts programmer at Edinburgh International Film Festival, and she's a really good good freelance curator. And uh, Rena Mikkonen, who's um, the director and programmer at Tampere Film Festival in Finland. Like both of those places are just incredible Amazing. spots to get your film into. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Actually, it means that I'll be in Cork from um, the 8th to the 
10th or something like that of mm-hmm. um, the last weekend of the festival I'll be there Brilliant. and I'm looking forward to being in Cork for, for the first time since I was about 8 oh wow oh exciting yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing how that goes and then of course the most important festival uh, it will be coming up in November we have our Irish Film London Festival will be coming up in November so we will definitely chat way more about that next week when our programme is out we can dive into the programme and let everyone know what will be coming up so I'm also looking forward to that so before we wrap up and before we kind of dive into this really gorgeous um, interview with Catherine uh, what are your kind of top Hot film highlights of the summer just because we had our break we need to oh, God. catch up mm, um, I know I mean so I actually didn't get to go to the cinema that much to see things I think the last thing I yeah the last thing I went to see at the cinema was Top Gun mm-hmm. um, and I kind of I kind of really I kind of really hate Top Gun um, <laughs> um, I went to see it because so me and my my eldest boy who's like he's a teenager we've been to see like every Marvel film and we've kind of worked our way up into you know action and more grown up stuff a little bit but that Top Gun trailer was there for about feels like it was there forever mm-hmm. like in the cinemas I think it kind of got caught over the pandemic yeah and just, come out for a long long time but it felt like everything we went to see pre and post pandemic had a Top Gun trailer in it mm-hmm. so we kind of went to like break the spell mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and just get it over with and get it, it was living rent free in our heads a little bit mm-hmm. um, and it was yeah I was whelmed um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was fine for, for what it is for a bit of American military propaganda essentially yeah. you gotta <laughs> love it you gotta love yeah. it well on a very completely different end of the scale one uh, film that I saw over the summer that I loved was Nope I oh, really wow. really loved that yeah I mean it was absolutely bizarre uh, yeah. I just yeah I just thought it was deadly that's literally the only word I can kind of really describe it as I just thought it was the performances were brilliant the idea was absolutely bonkers yeah and uh, it was just a really great kind of cinema trip you know I kind of yeah, I'm not going to start you know analyzing it and looking into the deeper meanings right, and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. it was just a really uh, really enjoyable cinema trip yeah do you know what I saw that was really good um, I saw when well, I saw two films that, that I managed to get like programming screeners for so I managed to see them like kind of a bit of ahead of time but there's a film called uh, After Sun which is coming out soon which has got Paul Mescal in it and that was that's really really excellent film Um, I think that's going to be a big hit when it comes out it's very much a kind of an art house film Um, it's by a debut director a Scottish lady called Charlotte Wells um, it's very, very beautiful and very textured and lots of meaning. And Paul Mescal plays a dad um, to a little girl played by Frankie Corio. And the chemistry that they have is incredible. It's incredible. It's a really, Amazing. really good film. Really look- I only came across that trailer actually the other day. I'm really looking yeah. forward to seeing that. And then I think one film that we both really agree on um, as a highlight of the summer is Nothing Compares. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Nothing Compares has been around since since Sundance, which is mm. January. So it's kind of been on people's radars like all year, basically. But having had the pleasure of seeing it, it is it's a gorgeous film. It's one of those music documentaries that stays with you and mm-hmm. that tells a story that makes you feel like you're really getting inside the 
the mind of the of the character in this case Sinead O'Connor yeah agreed I can't stop thinking about it and I think it's such a it's so well done in the sense that they just picked kind of a certain chunk of Sinead O'Connor's life that it doesn't feel like this kind of just overwashed you know like biopic and uh, it focused in on just really important uh, things about her and I think it should be I say in the interview I think it should be a mandatory watch um, because I just think she's such an icon so I was only too delighted to uh, to get Catherine Ferguson on today for a quick chat because uh, she is uh, doing press left right and centre for this so I hope everybody enjoys it and I will chat to you soon Jerry. Nice one Dave. thank you If you're part of the regular Irish Film London audience or want to get more from your experience, consider joining our growing family of members for a range of exciting benefits. Irish Film London is a non-for-profit organisation. Our mission is to promote the best new Irish film to audiences all over the UK and with the help of this podcast, the world. If you become a festival friend or a festival champion, you get perks like discounted tickets for films and events, free access to Irish Film from Home films, and invites to networking events, and so much more. So check it out now. Ladies and gentlemen, Sinead O'Connor. My name is Sinead O'Connor. I am a woman. I have something to offer. It was such a shock for me to become a pop star. It's not what I wanted. I just wanted to scream. Everybody in music has a story in terms of what they went through. Every person's duty to themselves is to act on their feelings and to say when they think something is wrong. And take the consequences. I imagine so. The level when Nothing Compares to You became a hit was extraordinary. This song went number one everywhere in the world. I had come across an article about families who had been trying to lodge complaints against the church for sexual abuse and were being silenced. I had booked around Saturday Night Live. Basically, everything I had been raised to believe was a lie. She blows the candle out, she goes off stage. I had gone into the dressing room after her and I said, you know, I can't get you out of this. And she said, you know what, I don't want you to. If I acted at the time in the way that I felt would be most true to myself. I wasn't thinking to myself, I must be strong. I didn't know I was strong. An artist's job is sometimes to create the difficult conversations that need to be had. That's what art is for. They tried to bury me. I didn't realize I was a seed. Welcome to the Irish Film London podcast season two. I'm delighted to introduce Catherine Ferguson onto the episode today, the director of the beautiful Sinead O'Connor documentary, Nothing Compares. Welcome to, to the show, Catherine. 
Lovely to meet you, Neve. Thanks for having me. Before we kick off chatting about the uh, the documentary, I do have to congratulate you on being selected for the inaugural BFI and Chanel uh, Filmmaker Award. Congratulations. How does that feel? Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> a little bit overwhelming <laughs> and a huge surprise. Yeah, I found out last week and um, we had the awards last night. So, yes, I'm slightly bleary eyed. <laughs> I'm me. glad I'm glad that means it was a good time well congratulations <laughs> it, was, it was fun thank you so much too. well well deserved and um, this is honestly one of the most powerful documentaries about an artist I've seen I've ever seen Um, from start to finish it's it's so incredibly moving and inspiring and infuriating also at times and just kind of a roller coaster of emotions that is Sinead O'Connor's life in a way um, so let's go right back to the beginning of your your career because you've always been driven by women's stories. I absolutely have. Yeah, I mean, really, for the last um, decade or so, um, when I began moving into documentary work, I just felt a huge uh, drive. Yeah, to um, I suppose I'm very interested in revisionist uh, female stories, particularly. I think so many incredible women are reduced to footnotes in history. And I really... Um, you know, I think it's very important to go back and look at all of these incredible people and their contribution and, you know, and their legacy. So certainly that was something that was very interesting. But my interest in this story goes way back to when I was really um, growing up in Belfast uh, during the 80s and 90s. Um, my dad actually uh, was a huge fan of Sinead in the, 90- in the 80s, sorry, whenever I was very little and would play the Lion and the Cobra on repeat in the car as we were driving around miserable, grey, rainy, troubled-ridden Northern Ireland. And um, it just became this like visceral soundtrack to my youth. And then it was in the early 90s um, where I really uh, discovered Sinead, I suppose, on my own two feet as a young teenager. Um, my friends and I just really, when we finally could really see her and hear her and, uh, you know, understand what she was speaking out against and all of the things that make her incredible, you know, she really became an icon to us as these young Irish girls. Uh, but then we were very quickly demoralised um, to see how she was treated. We kind of fan- felt that we'd find this amazing um, icon as these teenagers and then just horrified to to witness somebody that we respected so much uh, enduring what she did. So I honestly would say that the seeds for this film were so then because it left such a dent on me as a young woman uh, to see another woman, particularly a woman from our island being treated the way she was that it just stayed with me um throughout the decades and then it was really uh in my 20s as a filmmaker that I just started to dream up um this possibility that I might one day be able to make a film about her amazing and I think it's just it's such an important piece of work though as well I think it's it's it should be mandatory uh viewing for sure but I think the piece of works kind of speaks for itself in a way about Sinead so I guess I'm interested in what was the story that you really wanted to tell and what was kind of the angle that you came at this with sure yeah I mean I suppose what we definitely were never going to do was a biopic um you know that's something from the very beginning we were very clear that we just wanted to really focus in on this five-year period, really, which is 1987 to 1993. And the reason for that was so that we really could deep dive and go into the detail uh, to really to be able to understand the cause and effect of what happens in this part of her story. You know, we needed to be able to go into detail and go right back 
to look at, I suppose, the Ireland that she came from and to be able to, to look in such focus. Uh, we had to be very, um, you know, concise with with uh, how many years of her life we, we, we could cover. I mean, I would um, be amazed if anybody could cover Sinead O'Connor's biopic in 90 minutes and very much hats off to them if they manage it. I mean, I really hope there's 10 films made about her and I'm sure there will be. Um, but really for us, it was always to look at the post time you know um her you know her her background the ireland that she you know that she came from her you know stellar rise to fame you know what she does with her voice uh when she's at the peak of her fame and then of course uh you know who she speaks out for and against and then the horrendous backlash that she suffers as this young woman uh on this global stage you know we wanted to tell that story because it's it's a shocking story actually and it's shocking even i think for today's audiences when you really see what she went through it's very hard to stomach absolutely and i think it's so important that we hear that snippet at the beginning where she says i didn't want to become a pop star you know she started music for therapy essentially and that really stayed common throughout you know though sometimes you might watch um documentaries about artists and they change or the music industry changes them or she stayed so true to herself throughout the whole time and you know i really felt that watching it that you know, anytime if the fame or the money or anything like that got taken away from her, she'd still be fairly content in herself. You know what I mean? It was she just wanted to make art and um, which I just think is just she's just so inspiring. But I have to ask about the structure of the documentary and the incredible amount of footage I imagine that you would have had to go through. What was that process like and kind of how long did that take? Because I know it kind of spread out over a number of years and especially COVID and everything like that as well. Yeah, well, really, we began the project in early 2018 and, you know, it was a huge mountain to climb because, you know, as a first time features director and we were a young film team, you know, there was a lot of convincing um, of both our partners, our funders and everybody really that, you know, this film should be made and I was the director to make it. So really uh, what we did was apply for funding, you know, through all the national funds because we really wanted to stay independent with this project. And um, every time we got a little pot of funding, we would we were able to bring in this incredible archive producer joe stones um and she started really early on with us i'd say and it must have been mid 2018 we were able to actually bring her in and um she was able to start the deep dive but by, by the time we started the edit in early 2021 um you know we already had huge swathes of art of archive um you know i think we must have listened to 100 hours worth of video and footage uh, mm. from that time what was really interesting though was that there wasn't there's, not a, there's an amazing amount of of uh, vo and talking archive but not a huge amount of um concert footage, B-roll, you know, all of the, uh, you know, I suppose the more candid stuff that you'd expect, you know, you know, musicians these days are followed around constantly, I suppose, by... Yeah, you know iPhone, what they're having for breakfast, like, so, yeah. <laughs> exactly, but it seems at that point there, there, there wasn't a huge amount out there. Um, so we had a creative challenge in how to... Uh, you know, be able to use, to be able to, I suppose, cover the story um, in a cinematic uh, way. Uh, so we ended up, um, you know, having to shoot some of our own archive, essentially, mm. or the kind of dream sequences to help, uh, 
visually illustrate um, certain parts of the story. Um, but what was amazing with working with Joe Stones, um, as we started to like uh, meet our contributors, and many of them are first-hand uh, eyewitness um, accounts who were there, um, you know, we'd meet someone and they'd be like, oh God, you need to speak to this guy, Mike, he lives in America and he, I'm sure he's got a box of tapes under his bed. You need to get in touch and see if he can you know um digitize them or you can digitize them and we just went, went on this wild goose chase uh trying to um find these amazing nuggets which we did find but a lot of it was very late in the day and um, Mick Mahan our amazing editor and I were pulling our hair out as we were very far into our edit and these amazing jewels would appear we're like oh my god we're gonna have to try it <laughs> we, we, more like we, we, we can't not include these so we're trying to keep the narrative um, and include these really these golden nuggets of, of our kind of shade. Well, the ones that you did include were just so gorgeous, even from, you know, the wedding of her guitar uh, teacher to the the kind of the underground drag shows that she would perform at in London and just so beautifully put together. And I was going to ask about your team then as well, because it's such a huge undertaking. I imagine you have to have uh, incredible support surrounding it you know and everyone being on the same page and the motivation and everything being the same how did you kind of create your team for this um yeah no the team was really important um I met the uh, film's co-writers and co-producers Eleanor Emtage and Michael Malley in early 2018 and really they were the first people that I'd met I've, I've been talking about wanting to do this film for years and years and years but they were the first people I met who really seemed to share the same like passion and had the energy to try and get this project up and running from the ground um so they were you know we we, we did everything together the three of us uh we worked on it for years and years on our own you know raising the funding uh pitching at funding forums all of that together so we were a very tight-knit team and obviously then Joe Stones the archive producer uh, joined us and she was amazing and then Mick Mahan the film's amazing editor uh, who's from Dublin lives in Cork he joined um, in early 2021 and I'd say really it was the five of us you know for the bulk of of making this film and um, just working together and trying to put one foot in front of the other to try and um you know, bring it to life. We then, of course, had amazing partners and uh, Northern Ireland Screen were first on board, which was amazing. Then Screen Ireland and um, BFI Doc Society. And then we worked with Field of Vision in New York and um, they came on board and were amazing. So we worked with amazing, uh, you know, uh, not not for profits, um, you know, uh, national funds, which meant that we were able to com keep complete control of, of the project which really it had to we had to keep control of the project mm. so we were very fortunate in that uh, regard and all of the different funders that I've mentioned you know the exact producers within all of those teams were also very supportive and helpful and then um, you know and then I suppose as we went into post we worked with the amazing Buckley sisters um, Irish composers um, and they put together you know this beautiful score that mirrors back Sinead's mm. music in many ways and it was really important important to work with you know female Irish composers that was brilliant and then yeah and then it was just post-production lots of women involved I think I think probably 80 percent of the entire team amazing <laughs> yeah. brilliant and as well I just got so excited about diving in I didn't even ask how you even started 
approaching Sinead, I guess, about the idea and what she thought about it and maybe when she was ready to do it. Because I'm even surprised it hadn't even been done before, but actually it's the most perfect time for it. Yeah, well, it's a it's a bit of a long winded story, but I'll try and keep it short. But um, <laughs> basically, um, you know, I, I mentioned before, you know, where it all began for me, I suppose, emotionally, which was back in the 90s. But um, it was in my 20s. I'd actually gone back to the Royal College of Art and um, was doing a master's in 2011. And I made a short film called Mather, which is obviously Irish for mother. And it was a visual uh, film that um, was starting to deconstruct a lot of the themes that are now in this documentary, um, particularly around Catholicism and it, the treatment um, of, uh, of, of the women of Ireland. So I'd reached out to uh, Sinead's team at that point and asked if I could use her stems, if I could get access to her stems of her music because I wanted to deconstruct her music um for this short and they uh thankfully agreed and then i very courteously um sent over uh the like my student film just you know as i say out of courtesy just to show them and then heard back maybe a year and a half later and they'd uh, they were coming back to ask me to direct her music video for fourth and vine which wow. was her single that came out i know in 2013 so that was obviously a complete, I imagine you had just kind of well, completely forgotten, you know, you kind of, of a year later. Wow, that's amazing. It was I didn't even think they'd watched it, but um no, it was absolutely amazing. And what was super amazing, obviously, was then I got to meet her and uh and the wider team around her. And um, you know, that was incredible. And all it really did was stoke the far further, you know, for me to want to try and just you know, re re relit this passion and desire for wanting to tell her story um but you know I as I said first time features director didn't know how to even get close to that and then spent the next five years really just talking to anyone that would listen <laughs> um about this desire to tell the story um and not really getting anywhere until then I in early 2018 I met Michael and Ellie and I finally had people that were galvanized enough and you know also wanting to 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 try and take on this huge project <laughs> together but I think the timing you know so then like the three of us obviously worked very closely and put together like a, a like a one page or like a synopsis which I then brought back to the team that I'd worked with in 2013 I expected a very polite thank you but uh no way from them um and was just yeah I suppose it was a timing you know thankfully they also thought it was important but I think the timing is crucial it was mm -hmm. early 2018 the world was on fire particularly with women speaking out mm -hmm. um we had Weinstein Weinstein we'd had me too we you know Trump was in power there was so much rage uh burning up uh you know uh around as i say you know women speaking out on issues no it really so, did if it just felt like the perfect timing it really really did i'm just gonna say on that you know the key thing too is like what was happening in and uh, you know we just had had the equal marriage referendum and we were gearing up towards the um repeal the abortion referendum mm. and it just kind of felt mad that her voice wasn't being included or her legacy wasn't being discussed in all of these huge tectonic shifts particularly at home so I think it was all of those reasons it was it was a timing thing and also these huge things that she had already planted seeds for and have been yeah. had been talking about 
years ago you know it's yeah. not it's, it's not like it was kind of a new thing you know no. and I think one of the most there's so many but one of the most admirable admirable things about Sinead O'Connor as as a woman and as an artist and being in the music industry is that you know as I said she never once compromised herself but also in saying that that always kind of sounds like she never changed but in saying that she was so open to constantly changing, which I think, which was a huge thing that I took away from the documentary is that we're constantly changing and evolving as people. And she talks about after having her baby and coming into her mid twenties, you know, she's like, of course, I'm, I'm going to be different from, from who I was a few years ago. She just stayed so true to herself. And I think that's really important as well to see for female artists, um, you know, because they just get so critiqued, especially if they start in the music industry as a young age you know them getting older and growing it's you know they're getting too sexualized or they're not the same or they're changing their sound it's as if they're not allowed you know and she just Mm -hmm. kind of bashed through all of those barriers which I just think was amazing absolutely no I mean I think what's you know she she's just amazingly inspirational (laughs) and what's been so great you know showing the film now you know it launched obviously Sundance in January it's just the amount of like young, flashing-eyed teenagers I've got coming up at the end of the screenings who are just completely bewildered, saying like, "What? Mm. <laughs> How did we not know this?" Because the rhetoric around her has been so reductive, and they even were saying like, "Oh, we just thought she was bad, or she'd done something bad. We didn't really know what it was, mm. you know." And that was what they knew of her. And then when they see it, they're stunned and. Yeah, as you said, furious but galvanized. It mm. seems to have accidentally become a bit of a um, call to action, particularly in America, you know, where so much is happening there. Uh, obviously, the horrors that's happening over there, um, you know, for women at the minute. You know, I just think it's amazing how inspired people seem to be, you know, and taking the anger they feel and hopefully turning it into um, positive action. She was just it's it's so infuriating as well because she was just so ahead of her time and she was just absolutely fearless and the world the world has moved on so much since then obviously politically as we've said you know the main changes in Ireland with the marriage referendum and repeal um but even like even we've just moved on so much even in this in the way of you know how gay burn would talk to her on the late late you know that kind of patronizing tone and that would be an absolute uproar you know if that happened now and I do kind of wonder I'm really interested in this kind of debate at the moment of uh, the kind of Gen Z generation that people say that they're not able for hard work and they're not able for intense work environments whereas the counter argument is that well actually you know they're saying well your work environment shouldn't be intense or toxic and we're going to put our foot down and I just feel like Sinead if Sinead was around now she would just be so much more widely understood and respected Mm -hmm. but she just kind of she took the hits for an awful lot of women uh, but started paving the path you know and it's just so interesting to see the kind of stark difference in time and how she was just so ahead miles ahead absolutely and I think she ties it up beautifully at the end of the film you know and she says you know they tried to bury me but they didn't realize I was a seed and I think that just says it all you know because really 
she has inspired whether you know whether directly or indirectly you know it's it's certainly true mm. that she has inspired generation after generation of of young people um and i just really hope what the film does is uh just spread that even further and inspire mm. the next generation um, as well. So, no, I'm, I'm excited for it to come out. Absolutely. It's so exciting. And I think um, one of the last lines in it as well, I love that that reference as well. And I also loved, you know, there's a spark of Sinead in kind of every movement, um, especially in regards to, you know, women and repeal and the Me Too movement. And even in regards to BLM as well, she's mm-hmm. kind of such a fantastic activist and feminist. And uh, I think it's just really beautiful. And I think for such a monster of a piece, um, it still felt so intimate with all of the voices of her loved ones and uh, and family and friends and stuff. Um, so just congratulations on a really, really beautiful film. I'm so excited for more and more people to see it. I really am. So where can people see it? Where can they uh, get their hands on it? Sure. Well, it's going to be out in Ireland and the UK in cinemas. Um, I think it's across 60 screens uh, from next Friday, Friday the 7th. Amazing. 7th of October so um, yes it will be playing all over the place hopefully and um, yeah and then eventually it will uh, be on a streamer but mm-hmm. I think that will be for like December but yeah I'm not exactly sure those details just yeah but yeah cinema cinema for now uh, which is so exciting fantastic amazing yeah. and I'm sure this is kind of still taking over your life at the moment but if what's, what's next in the in the pipeline for uh, for you or have you even gotten a chance to think that ahead? <laughs> well I, I I mean I amazingly I had a wee breather over the summer um it was a very intense festival run and it's very very intense again right now but mm. I had a breather and great just to actually have some headspace to let new ideas start to come in so yes I'm, I'm starting I'm very early stages on a um on a new feature doc um and yeah uh yeah i i, I wouldn't even be confident to talk about it yet it's such <laughs> of a, course, a of tangled course. up in my head but yeah it's also an irish story but it won't be about a well-known person <laughs> so i'm sure it'll be a lot harder to get off the ground but yeah i'm starting to get that going and i'm just signing on to a, um an actual a, a biopic actually with universal amazing um, fantastic month yeah so oh, that's congratulations cool. well I look forward to having you on again to chat about your future projects I could sit oh, here and gush about the film and gush about Sinead O'Connor for hours but I'm gonna let you know I want to in- encourage every listener to go and watch it and bring people along with you so Catherine thank you so much for coming on to chat to me today you really did a beautiful job you and your team and congratulations again on your award enjoy it try and enjoy it if you can and uh, we look forward to seeing you again very soon hopefully Lovely. Thank you so much. Really nice chatting. Thanks, Thanks. Catherine. Thank you all for listening. And before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with Sinead O'Connor's iconic performance of War on Saturday Night Live in 1992. Lastly, a big thank you to Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme. See you next time. Until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited 
and abandoned everywhere is war until there's no longer first class or second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes I've got to say war that until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race I say war until that day the dream of lasting peace world citizenship and the rule of international morality will remain just a fleeting illusion to be pursued but never attained